Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to our family, old and new. We're so glad that you chose to worship our God with us today. We're grateful. It's a blessing and a privilege to not only be family with God, but be family with you. And it's a blessing and a privilege to worship with you this morning. Uh, today, we'll be continuing our series, Walking with God, A Journey Through Lent. This entire Lenten season, we're being invited to, to walk with God. And as we walk with God, as we go on this journey, we're, we're kind of reminding each other to, to hold on to God, yes, but also to hold on to each other. And that is a, a point of tension. But as we'll see and as we'll go through this morning is that a lot of our faith tends to be this tension. We, we, when we go through journeying through Lent, we remember, first of all, that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. We also remember, though, that the... Jesus um, is marching on his way to Calvary. So the Lenten season represents that tension of, of being in the wilderness where it's lonely and dark and cold, where it's a home of our frustrations. But it also gives us the opportunity for prayer, for self-reflection, for self-restraint, for repentance and for reconciliation. We remember Jesus' march to Calvary. We remember the cross, yes. We remember Christ becoming sin for us, Christ suffering for us, yes. But we also in this season march on as we take up our cross to follow him. Today we'll be talking about living by the spirit and putting to death the sin nature. To help us flesh that out, we'll be turning to Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Romans 8. I'll be reading verses 5 to 14 and inviting you to um, read along on the screen as well. Romans 8, starting at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that through Christ we can live in the spirit. God, help us today to commit our spirit to you, to be united by the spirit, to be led by the spirit. Lord, help us to put to death those things that kill us, those things that kill the people around us, those things that kill our relationships, those things that kill our walk and relationship with you. Help us to find and hold on to the new life you promised in the spirit. Help us to live by the spirit, to not only bring you joy and to grow our relationship, but so that we can be what we already are, Holy as you say, because holy you see us in Christ. In your son's loving name we pray. Amen. 
So one of the interesting things about Lent I've been kind of reflecting on the last several weeks is how I grew up not practicing Lent. I grew up in very disparate, I grew up in very diverse communities. I grew up in, um, you know, like a Liberian, Pentecostal, Baptist strain. I had a little bit of, uh, of a Liberian Catholics on some side of my family. Uh, I grew up Plymouth Brethren. There's most of my stay here in the United States. I went to an Assemblies of God youth group. Um, I was exposed to a lot of different forms of Christianity. But in all these different groups, Lent was not necessarily um, part of our focus. Uh, all these different churches, communities, my experience was not practicing Lent. So this meant Lent was very unknown to me, and it was very, very easy to misunderstand. So growing up, people tell me they were celebrating Lent. I really, really thought they were practicing another religion. It just was not common to me. When I got to college, I became more intrigued because now I'm in a greater setting, or at least a bigger setting uh, numerically, of Christians. And in that bigger setting, there's a lot more people who were actually practicing Lent. And I think the college actually did a good job of, of helping us stop and focus on, on Lent. But yet again, because I didn't know what it was supposed to signify or, or what it was pointing to, and maybe some of you are there with me, or at least you're back, you're with me on that part this morning, or whenever you're watching this, right? But for me, the intrigue was that there were people who were serious Christians who were doing this. But what I found, though, is that for some people, at least to me, it seemed very trivial. You know, they'd say, what are you giving up for Lent? And my, my answer would be like, well, what's Lent, you know? And then I would ask them, what are you giving up? And they said, well, I'm giving up chocolate for Lent. And I, and, and I would just sit and think to myself, like, I know you. You eat like one chocolate bar a month. So how is this really a sacrifice, right? So it just seemed very, very trivial that I don't know the point of just giving up something to give it up. But then the opposite side of that were people who treated Lent like a competition. You know, you know those people. It's like, I will give up all internet. That's what we said back then. We didn't have social media as we know it today. We just had internet. I will give up all internet. I will give up all TV. I will read the entire Bible. And I will run three marathons a day. You know those people. It was a, it was a competition. So I would look at them and I was like, I really feel like that's not what this is supposed to be about either. But then there was a third strain of people who probably conflicted me or at least confused me the most. And these are people who, for Lent, for these 40 days, these six weeks, would give up unhealthy behaviors, you know? So it's almost like if they would come up to you and like, you know, for Lent, I'm just not going to be little people anymore. And it's like, um, if something is really, really terrible... Like, you should not be doing it. You should be rooting it out now as opposed to just giving yourself grace and, and only giving it up for Lent. So again, this, this intrigue was kind of confused because either it was too trivial or it was a competition or it was people just saying, well, I will stop being unhealthy for this time frame, but then after I'll go back to being unhealthy again. But is that the heart of Lent? And I, I'm grateful for friends back then who actually modeled the true heart of Lent, which is focusing on Jesus. It's focusing on Jesus' sacrifice. It's focusing on who Jesus is, what Jesus did, how Jesus helps and grows us by modeling faith. And by seeing those people practice Lent with that focus, with that mindset, it helped me truly understand that Lent is about Jesus. Lent is about remembering who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and how Jesus is modeling fate for us. And when you start to focus on Jesus, you'll start to realize that Lent is, is rooting out and moving on to those things 
that sometimes get in the way of us being close to God. To those things that put barriers and barriers around us and and that that God can't necessarily get through because we keep building the barriers. Lent was also focusing on Jesus to help us root out all the things that had become our gods or our focus when it should be on Jesus. So my prayer for us as a congregation, as a community, as a body, as a family, may we, may what we give up point us back to God. May our sacrifice help us to remember Jesus' sacrifice. May our journey be led by the Spirit. And to be led by the Spirit, we must submit. To submit, we must commit. And to commit, we must accept that invitation. So yes, accept the invitation of the Spirit. Commit your way to the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit. And that's how you can be led by the Spirit through this journey of Lent. And if we are living by the Spirit, one fruit of living by the Spirit is putting to death the sin nature. In the series and this morning, or at least for me it's morning, I've been talking about the tensions that we see in Scripture. And there's even tension in this passage. And tension's not a bad thing here. Tension, it, it reminds us that it's not always black and white. And it's not either or, but it's both and. For example, Jesus is fully God. And Jesus is fully man. That's a tension. The kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom is already here. That's a tension. We are journeying through Lent, remembering the desert, but also marching towards Calvary. That's a tension. And in our passage, Paul to the Roman church first, and to us this morning, for me anyway, Paul to the Roman church and to us invites the tension of life in the spirit or life by the flesh. Life in the spirit brings life. Life by the flesh brings death. Life by the Spirit brings submission to God. Life by the flesh brings submission to your desires, submission to yourself. Life by the Spirit points you or reminds you that Jesus is Lord. Life by the flesh focuses on you and makes you Lord, makes you the authority, makes you the harbinger of all that is good. But we are to live in the Spirit We are to live in this tension of we are not yet complete, but God considers us holy. We are not yet complete. The Spirit is still transforming us into the image of Jesus. There is still work to be done. There are things that we have to actively do to live in the Spirit. But we also, on this side of heaven, are in these mortal bodies. And as long as we're in these mortal bodies, we will fight the flesh. But I think it's really beautiful that though we are not yet complete, because of Jesus, God sees us as holy. Because of Jesus, God considers us holy. So as we do the work to to kill the sin nature, to put to death the sin nature, to live by the Spirit, as we do that work, God seems to say, you are not yet complete. But my sister or my brother, God's child, God says, you are not yet complete, 
but you can be what you already are in my eyes. And when we get to this passage, it actually begins in verses 1 to 4, where Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who believe. Paul said, Jesus' his sacrifice has set you free. The law promised life. But the law only proved to us how we fall short. It is Jesus, his sacrifice, that gives us life. And that life is the gift of God. That life is salvation. That life makes it possible for us to live by the Spirit. And then when we get to our verse 5 to 14, our passage this morning, Paul says, because of that victory, because there is no condemnation, because God, through Jesus, has given you life, I want you to live by the Spirit. Because, sisters and brothers, if we live by the flesh, it only leads to death. And not just the physical death that some of us will one day see, but it leads to spiritual death in our relationship with God. It leads to spiritual death in our relationship with God. It leads to emotional death in our being. It leads to relational death to the people around us. If we're living by the flesh, we are walking the path to death and destruction. But the tension here is that the spirit is the opposite, and the Spirit brings life. So while living by the flesh brings death, physically, yes, but also emotionally, relationally, and spiritually, the Spirit and living by the Spirit brings peace, which is the opposite of all those things because peace is shalom, and that's peace with God. That's peace with neighbor or the other. That's peace with yourself, and that's peace even with our world. In the flesh, Paul reminds us that we cannot please God. In the flesh, we do not submit to God. In fact, in the flesh, we are hostile to God. And in this Lent season, as I was focusing and thinking about this um, passage this week, the question that kind of stopped me in my tracks, that arrested me, if you will, was simply, where are the places that I have grown hostile to God? Where are the places that I have grown so hostile to God? And Lord, help me to not only see them, but submit even that to you. Because that is living in the flesh. If you are hostile to God, that is living in the flesh. But the Spirit is where you belong. The Spirit is where we all belong because the Spirit is our fuel. The Spirit is what leads to life. The Spirit and life in the Spirit is what pleases God. Living in the Spirit is, again, submitting to God, committing your way to God, accepting the invitation of God to live and walk in peace. Life by the Spirit brings peace with God. Life by the Spirit brings peace with self. Life by the Spirit brings peace with others. Life by the Spirit brings peace to our world. Life by the Spirit brings shalom. So I think as we go through this Lent season, we have to remember that we are called to live by the Spirit. And I think if we're going to live by the Spirit, there are four things I think that can help us as we think about it during this Lent season. The first one is I think we have to be critical and honest and vulnerable before God. And the way to do that is to pray this prayer of David. In Psalm 139, David says, O Lord, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. The first step, I believe, 
to living life in the spirit is first of all being honest, being vulnerable, and coming to God and saying, God, search me and know me. Because it's very easy, at least for me, to tell myself, I don't know where I'm struggling. I don't know where I need life. I don't know where I've grown hostile to God. If that's where you are, that's okay. Just come to God in prayer honestly and vulnerably and say, God, search me and know me. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. Look into me. And if there's anything offensive in me, if there's anything fleshly in me, if there's anything I'm doing or way I'm living that's leading to death, Lord, save me, help me, grow me, and lead me in your way of the everlasting. The Lord, search me and know me is maybe the first step. The second step then. After you do that self-examination, after you do that vulnerable prayer, after you lay it at the Lord's feet, it's to ask God to help you change your clothes. You know, one of the things we miss is that the Bible is all about covenant. And in ancient covenants, one of the things that the two parties would do is they would exchange their robes, right? They would take off their robe and, and give it to the other person. And the other person would take off their robe and, and you would receive that robe. It was a mark of the covenant. It was a mark of your lasting loyal love to one another. But it was also saying, all that I am, my, my identity, my resources, all that I am, this robe that represents all of that, now belongs to you. And in you giving them your robe, you're saying the same thing. All that I am, all the, my resources, my identity, everything that I am, I'm giving it to you for that belongs to you. The New Testament writers love this covenant language. It shows up time and time again when we're asked to put on the clothes of righteousness, when we're asked to put off the old man or put off the sin nature and put on the things of Christ. When we say that Jesus became sin for us, they love to use this language over and over again because if we are going to live by the Spirit, we have to take off the robes of the old person. We have to take off the robes of that sin nature. We have to take off the robes of the flesh. Put it on Jesus so it can be crucified on the cross. But then we also have to put on, put on Jesus' robes of righteousness. Paul in the letter to the Colossians says it like this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices, the old robes, and you have put on what? The new robe, the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, for Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, what are we putting on? Holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. I'm reading the wrong verse. That's where I want to end. <laughs> and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As God to search you and know you and find the wicked way in you. But then change your clothes. Maybe if you're honest before God, maybe you will say, you know what, Lord, what I have put on. What I need to, what I have put on is, is right now I'm still holding on to, to not living sexually pure to please you. What I'm living on is impurity or lust or evil desires or greed. What I'm holding on to is idolatry. Lord, maybe in this season you need to say, God, help me to put off anger and to put on compassion to put off rage and malice and to put on kindness, to put off filthy language from my lips and to put on humility and gentleness, to stop lying and to put on forgiveness and to put on forbearance and holding each other up and to put on love. Maybe living by the Spirit for you is asking God, what do I need to put off? Is it anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, or lying? And what do I need to put on this new life in Christ? Is it kindness or compassion, humility or gentleness, patience? Is it patience to bear with one another? Is it love to forgive one another? Or is it just love? We need to change our clothes. So yes, Lord, search me and know me. Lord, help me to change my clothes. And the third thing is, Lord, help me to change my songs. And what I mean by that is in my family, in my culture, and, and undoubtedly now in me, one of the things we say is change your tune. Find a new beat. Change the rhythm. Change your tune. In my family, we love to say, eh, stop complaining. Change your tune. But that's because we live in familiar rhythms. We love to sing the same tune. If we are struggling and in a rut, it's because sometimes we just have set up these patterns that we keep repeating and repeating and repeating. And sometimes when you're just rolling, rolling down the hill, you need something to put a spoke, a, a, a jam in the spoke to, to, to knock you off course. Or maybe a less violent way to think about it is you simply need to find a new song. You need to find a new rhythm. You need to find a new way to invest your time, your resources. You need to be, be mindful of the decisions that you're making that are leading to this consequence or, or this end point and to change your tune. One helpful way that I've been thinking about this is, you know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the old Negro spirituals, about how they had this tension of, of earth and heaven, how they had this tension of, I may be enslaved down here, but in Jesus Christ, I've been set free. How they had this tension of, yes, I'm going to the promised land, but it's not just in heaven to come. It's way down yon, it's way up north. They had this tension of, go down Moses, go down into Egypt land, go down into the the south and set me free. They had this tension of wade in the water, children, yes, but shake off that scent so those dogs couldn't, couldn't smell you so you can get to freedom land. But the spirituals were also songs that changed because when they started in the 16 and 17 and 1800s, by the time you reach the civil rights movement, 
they become freedom songs. They become freedom songs. And, and then sometimes they just basically took the same songs and changed the lyrics a little bit. But what I love about the freedom songs is they didn't stop singing about the tension of, of heaven and earth. They didn't stop singing the tension about not just dreaming about what God wants in the future, but the kingdom that they can have now. But what they did is they changed the song. So they stopped waiting in the water. They stopped saying, go down Moses. And they started looking to God and looking at each other, wrapping arm in arm. And they started singing, ain't nobody going to turn me around. I'm going to keep on walking, keep on talking, marching up to freedom land. Ain't no jailhouse, ain't no segregation, ain't no race of hatred, ain't no great state of Mississippi. Ain't nobody going to turn me around. All that changed was the song. And so for some of us, we have to break the cycle. We have to change our tune. We have to flee from those things that are so easily ensnaring us. And it might be a giant problem. And you've heard me say this before, and you're hearing me say it again. It doesn't matter how big the problem is. Look to the Africans for wisdom. It's always a good way to look. And what they teach us in that proverb is, you eat the elephant one bite at a time. Change the song. Break the cycle. Flee the sin. And do it one step at a time. So yes... Lord, search me and know me is our prayer. Lord, help us to change our clothes and to put off the old person and this new creation. Lord, help us to change our songs. And then lastly, we'll wrap up in this too. Commit to consistently praying. We said last week that prayer is an invitation by God to us. Accept that invitation and commit to praying for life in the spirit. We said prayer is about humbly coming before God and honestly coming before God to profess your reliance on God. Commit to life in the spirit as for your reliance on God. And we said that over time, prayer transforms us. Prayer changes us. Committing to pray is essential for life in the spirit. Why? Because we are not yet complete. Why? Because there's things we have to put off. Why? Because the spirit that lives inside of us wars with the Holy Spirit that also lives inside of us. The flesh wars with the spirit. We are not yet complete, but commit to pray because God sees us as holy in Jesus Christ. Because God in the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives inside of you. And it's the same power that can transform you and teach you, and grow you, and gift you life by the Spirit. So when you commit to pray, I want you to do something special this week. Last week, I invited you to just focus and meditate on Psalm 23. This week, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to pray. And I know some of you are like, well, I'm the best Christian in the world. I pray all the time. I pray without ceasing. That's amazing. But even for you, I'm going to ask you to do it a little bit different. Keep praying all the time. Keep your same rhythms and all that. That's great. That's what I want you to do this week. I want you to pick a time, any time during the day. The only commit is that it has to be the same time every single day. So pick a time, any time, and for the next week, for the next seven days, at that time, every single day, you are going to pray. What do you pray for? Whatever brings life by the Spirit. 
whatever helps you to put off that old robe and to put on the robes of righteousness. What you pray for is between you and the Spirit. All I'm asking is to pick a time, the same time, each day, and pray. If you need more direction, maybe you'll go back to Psalm 139 and David's verse in, in verse 24 when David says, Oh Lord, search me and know me, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Or maybe you'll say, Lord, I need to take off this robe of anger. I need to take off this robe of rage and malice, of slander, of filthy language. Lord, I need to take off this robe of lying. Lord, I need your help to put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Lord, I need your, your help to help me to bear with one another, bear with the people around me, to forgive and to love. Pray for help changing your clothes. Or maybe it's simply just praying for help to change your song. I don't know what song you're singing. I don't know what rhythm you're walking or, or, or what rhythm or what beat you're dancing to. But I know if it's by the flesh, it will lead to death. And I know that life by the Spirit will transform you, will heal you, will grow you, and will help you to be what God our Father says you already are. Sisters and brothers, let's journey through Lent together this week, living by the Spirit and putting to death the sin and the flesh. God bless you all. Amen.